You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. We are coming upon the conclusion of Psalm 19 today. And I want us all to pay attention to what God is speaking He's speaking for your joy. He's speaking and declaring for your hope. He's communicating to all of us. I love you. I have plans for you. I want you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what's been going on in life, our prayer is for you, for all of us, is that there would be a story that we can proclaim, that shows his glory, that shows his kindness, his care, that yes, the handiworks declare the glory of God, and part of that work is his work in my life, on my heart, directly what I need. I want you to follow a story, a little video testimony that we have for you uh, right now, and then we'll come back and look at the text today. So watch the video, please. I'm Evan Clements. Uh, this is my wife, Wendy Clements. You know, we have a little boy named Charlie. I have been a Christian uh, for uh, really all my life. Um, I grew up very much in a you know Christian household, going to church. I was raised Roman Catholic, and I was very devout. Uh, both sides of my family were Catholic, my mother and father's families. So I was raised in the church and. We were there every Sunday. As I got older, uh, I, I started realizing that I would have uh, more temptations um, of sin around me and the culture and my job and, and friends and stuff. And just, I, I was acting very worldly. Um, and I was looking for affirmation and my worth and other things other than God. And I was also realizing that I didn't have any way to overcome the temptations to sin. It was very, it became a battle for me. And so I did what I was raised to do. I went to church and I would go to church more often, but there wasn't any um, ability or knowledge on how to overcome the temptations to sin, except one sermon I remember they said, just avoid it at all costs which is helpful, but what if you're in a situation where you can't avoid it, like it's just there, you can't spend your life running away from sin. I was trying to be good in my own righteousness. I was trying to find God in the way that I was taught. It got to the point where I was, I was really depressed and I thought that that was just, I thought that he wasn't there and that this was just my life. Um, but I didn't want to be that way. I wanted to be good, and I wanted to be holy, and I wanted to be accepted by Him. I just didn't know how to get, I didn't know how to get Him. And what I was doing wasn't working. So God, after time, He brought me to the end of myself and me trying to do everything 
I knew that I needed something outside of myself to help me. So one day on the way to work, I was so depressed. I was just crying and crying, um, desperate and hopeless. And I pulled over on the side of the road and I cried out to Jesus and I said, Jesus, I don't know how to get you, but I want you and I can't be good in myself. Like, I don't know how to be holy, but I know that you are holy and I, I need you to come and fix me. I just, I don't want all the other stuff. I just want you. I, I was tired of all the, the things that I was trying to put my trust in. I just wanted him and his righteousness and his holiness. And I wanted him to come and save me. And in that moment, I had this peace. All my depression and my burdens were just gone. And I had this hope. And then I felt like this huge weight was lifted. And I had clarity. And also I heard this voice clear as day within me say, read my word. And so I rushed to work. And luckily my boss was a Christian and I told him what had happened and he was so excited because he had been pouring the word into me. And he put me in a conference room and he said, read these, these books. So he had me read Ephesians and Romans. And I, as I read the word, um, I just had this zeal for more, for the word. And I just had this hunger, this insatiable hunger to read the word of God. And as I read the words, they just came alive. They were, before when I would read the Bible or try to, nothing made sense. But after that, what happened, they would just lift off the page and they would pierce me, as not in a bad way, but like they were renewing me or giving me life and I could understand it. And I, I had this faith and hope in these words and I knew that they were, that they were good. I felt like I had this treasure and I had all the wisdom of the whole universe in this book and it was being like the very mind of God was being communicated to me and I could hear him and I was I could feel his presence and it was renewing me and every every verse would just give me life and I was being renewed and transformed and I could I was just full of joy something I never experienced before Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. to see the handiwork of God around us, we are going to look and reread the whole chapter of Psalm, and we're going to land on the final few verses today, and we're going to, my prayer is, be reminded of the glory of God in his specific reaching for where you are, like the Clemens story 
I don't know what your story is, but I pray that during this time today, even today, even here, even right now, that there would be an awakening and a, a reviving going on within your soul. So let's read it and let's land on the last, I think, very extremely helpful few verses for us. Psalm 19, verse 1, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world and in them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. And its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The last week we looked at verse 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. It's been the last three weeks. Now we come to verse 12, 13, and 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Verses 1 through 6, we see David sing the song of a general revelation, declaring the handiwork of God. Verses 7 through 11, he's singing the song of the special revelation of the word. God speaks, not just to David, but even to a Wendy on the road to work, pull over, read my word. Are we listening? Do we see it? Can we hear it? Does he and his message give us life and excitement, or does it bore you or confuse you? Do you relish it? Do you taste it? Do you drink it in and love it? Or do you demand or even kind of want or expect better than God's word or more than what God is saying? Are we in awe of what God is saying? Are we in awe of God? Whose voice is the loudest in your life? 
As we wrap up Psalm 19, I invite you to ask God today to show you you. We've been asking God to show us him, and we're going to continue to ask that God would reveal himself to us. We're going to say that and ask that every day of our lives. God, show us who you are. Show us your glory. Reveal to us more and more of the love and the power and the the grandness and the attributes of who you are. But today, I want us to begin our time looking at this, praying something like this. God, show me what I am moved by. Show me what I am in awe of. Show me what I listen to the most. God, as I seek you, show me me. Let's pray that now. Lord, this has been my prayer for myself this week. This has been my prayer for our congregation and our people this week. God, that as you reveal yourself to us, that you would reveal ourselves to ourselves so that we can be honest and free. Would you do that, please, Lord, in this time? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's obvious in this chapter, David loves God. When we talk about being in awe of God, we're talking about being in love with God. The king of the people is in awe of God. But David does more than just talk about being in awe of God and talking about the one he loves. David asks a couple of questions, or he asks a question here, and it comes like turns from verse 11 to verse 12 to almost like this awareness of who God is to the awareness of who he is. Where you almost hear him say, well, what about the reality of my sins. You are this. You're declaring this. You're showing this. You're revealing this. God, I want to love you. God, I want to grow in all of you. I want to, I want to know you, but I still see in me my sins, my brokenness, my shame. Perhaps you feel that way at times. Perhaps you feel like that right now. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been here throughout this series and you're like, okay, Jason, behold your God, behold your God, behold your God. We get it. You want us to look up. You want us to look deep. You want us to go in. But I can't even look past my own sin right now. It's so burdening me. It's pulling me down. Either mistakes I've made that are catching up to me now or the things I keep doing that I don't want to do. This psalm shows us more than just look up and look deep into the Word. It shows us what to do with our sin. I love it. If you want to grow in all of God, then join me in coming to the end of this song in Psalm 19 and learn how to ask for help. Loving God does not make us perfect. We need to understand that. You're like, Jason, I'm growing in love of God. I'm growing in awe of God. I'm reading the word. I'm doing your little booklet thing that you're passing out, and I'm not perfect yet. Maybe you're perfect, but I'm not perfect. We can have a relationship with God and be growing in our relationship with God, and hear me, and we can still sin. 
We can look up to the heavens. We can declare the glory of God in everything. We can praise him before and after our events and all that we do. We see in verse 6 his handiwork, and we're like, yes, 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 but we can still fall into sin. We can be all in all of God's word, and we can memorize it and learn it and soak in it, yet still fall into sin. So what do we do? This is why being in awe of God, why growing in awe of God really matters. This is the the rubber meeting the road kind of stuff. This is where it's not so much that we're heavily minded, we can't have any earthly good here. No, this is where the two come together. We see it in this psalm. David demonstrates for us what we can do about our sin. I love this. We can be in awe of God. Always look up. He says that. Look up. Look up. More than you look at your sin, look up. We can be in awe of God because of his word. We can look deep, look deep. Instead of always looking at sin and doing sin, look deep into the word. But also what we see here in these last three verses is this final thing. We can pray to the one who guards and gives us life. What is he praying. We're going to look at that in a minute. But we need to understand in verses 12 through 13 here, David sort of describes two ways of sinning, two types of sinning. You're like, oh, there's only two? <laughs> my mom said there's 1,800 that I'm doing every day. No, they're not my mom. Sorry, I meant a mom. Anyway, two ways of sinning, two types of sinning that we see in verse 12 and 13. The first one that we see in verse 12 is what we're just going to call today hidden sins. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Who can discern his errors? Pastor John Piper refers to this type of sin as baffling sins or being baffled by the cravings and the sinful nature we have. Who can discern this. Now, we need to understand by hidden sins, what we don't mean is a a sin or a sinful life that we're doing in private that nobody else sees. No, that's not what we're talking about. That's not the hidden sin here that David is referring to. He's referring to a type of unforeseen craving and yearning to sin that causes us to look at ourselves in the mirror And say things like, who are you? How could you think that? How could you even do that? Who, what is going on? What are you doing that you're doing that or thinking that? Where did that come from? That hit me out of nowhere. I mean, I can't make sense. I can't, in David's words, discern what is in in me. That's causing me to do and think and say those things. Why did I do that? What is this? It's baffling. There's something hidden I can't see. You ever feel that way? I do. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 7 when he's wrestling with this. We see these statements together. For I do not understand 
my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. There's something I can't discern. So David here, Psalm 19, is aware of what Paul is saying in Romans 7, what Jeremiah says where he says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can discern it? Who can trust it? Deep within us, even though we are in awe of God and want to know God more and desire more of God, there are still hidden desires, yearnings, cravings in our flesh that we don't even understand. So David in Psalm 19 is declaring openly how much he loves God, how much he loves his word. It's better than gold, better than fine gold. It's better than honey, the greatest kind of sweet taste you could ever have. Yet he can't even discern his own errors. You ever feel like that? This is why I begin my scripture reading time By praying and begging that God would show me things in my life that I can't see. This is why we ask for him to incline our hearts to see things for him. That he would chain us to him. That he would allow us to see things so that we can begin to grow even more in awe and love with him. David is saying here, how can I discern my errors? These are hidden sins, hidden things. Let me just say here, one way to evaluate whether we love God or growing, let me say this, growing in love with God more and more and more is do you even care about the hidden sins in your life? Are Are you finding yourself more interested in the unseen things that you don't even want there? Do we ever ask God to reveal to us, Lord, show me the things I don't even know. There's another type of sin that David mentions here in verse 13. It's a second way of sin. There's hidden sins, and then there's a second way of sin that we see and know as presumptuous sins. Who can discern his errors? Verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. David sees the difference between those sins that baffle us that sneak up on us, those hidden sins. He sees a difference from those and those sins that we commit because we presume to know better than God or or we love the sin and see it as no big deal. Presumptuous sins. Not that there's a special category of sinning that's weightier than the other. It's not what he's saying here. He's saying there is, though, a, a sort of, a special defiance that's arrogant, that knows better, but goes after it anyway. It's not hidden. It's revealed. Our conscience may be nagging on us, nagging on us, nagging on us, the Holy Spirit nagging on us, but we flat out see it in open Scripture, but we just, for whatever reason, don't care. This is presumptuous sinning. 
Do you know what that's like? Have you struggled with that? Most people who are doing presumptuous sinning aren't really struggling with it. They're just going into it. Unlike hidden or baffling sins, presumptuous sinning says, oh, I know what he says, I just don't care, I'm doing it anyway. I know what he says and what he expects, but this is one sin and it's not as big or bad as, and then we reach for something like Hitler. Or it's not as bad, do you know what my boss has done to me? This is nothing compared to what I'm going to do to him. Do you know what my spouse is doing? Oh, that's nothing compared to what I'm doing. We go to these extreme, like, we know it's sin, but we try to justify it by comparing ourselves to other sinners. It says, I know what he expects, but he'll cover me. He'll overlook this one sin. I mean, I'm human. I'm going to sin. It's okay. God, God understands. He loves me. That's presuming on his grace. That's presuming that your sinning, stepping into it, isn't a big deal to God. It's saying, I know what he expects, but others are telling me it's okay. I've surrounded myself with people that are helping me feel that this is right for me. God's revealed will is wide open. It is seen but I'm going to give in anyway. I'm going to feel and do what I feel is right for me right now. Presumptuous sinning is a great indication that we just are not in awe of God. It is living a life in complete disregard of the most important commandment to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. My feelings for this action or this thought or this sin outweighs my feelings for God. I am more in awe of this forbidden fruit than I am of all the other things that God is clearly, freely providing me. I'm not as in all of that. I'm more in all of this one thing I'm not supposed to do. I want this instead of him. That's presumptuous sin. Remember, David is in awe of God. And remember, David is the one here that is saying, basically, I've got hidden sins and I've got presumptuous sins. So if you're here thinking, oh, I hope so-and-so's hearing this because they are presumptuous sinners, don't mishear the invitation that I'm putting before you and that David is presenting to us and that God is wanting us to hear. We have presumptuous sins in our life. We have hidden sins in our life. David models for us here what to do with that. For one who is in awe of God, what to do with that? Notice there are three things that he prays. He, he, he calls out these two types of sins and, and we look at three Things that he prays, these are three things to pray for someone who loves God, who's in awe of God. First of all, David prays for forgiveness for the hidden sins. He prays for pardon. I ask for forgiveness. I ask for pardon. 
Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. I'm seeking you, Lord. I need forgiveness. There is a freedom that we have to run to our creator and ask for a declaration of freedom, a declaration of forgiveness. In Christ, we have this opportunity to approach the throne of grace and the throne of God humbly and boldly. Lord, forgive me. Pardon those sins that I don't even know that are there. They're hidden ones. I, I, I know there's something there that leads me to do this. I don't even want to do that. Those in awe of God are those who know the pardoning of God, the forgiveness of God. So pray and confess the baffling sins, the ones that sneak up on you. And you go to the mirror and you go, what was I doing? I didn't even know that I was doing that. You read something in Scripture in a small group and you all of a sudden, you grew up with this, like what Wendy was talking about in this culture. You didn't even know. All you knew was what you knew, but you read something in Scripture, or you're in a community group, and all of a sudden it convicts you. The light goes on. You're like, wait, I didn't even know I was that. It baffles me. God, I confess this to you. Forgive me. Pardon me. He prays another prayer in verse 13. And this is a prayer for fullness. This is a prayer to, for fullness to fight presumptuous sin. This is a prayer for power. Who can discern errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Did you catch that? Keep them away. You're, you're bigger than the presumptuous sin. So you, stronger God, you flex your muscles. Give me power to push them away. Keep them away. Let them not have dominion over me. I keep these presumptuous sins. I'm yearning. I'm wanting. Everybody's telling me it's okay to do this. The culture's even inviting me to accept this and do this in my lifestyle. God, I'm turning to you because I'm in awe of you. Don't let those pressures have dominion over me. This is a prayer for fullness. This is a prayer for the power to resist. This is a prayer that Eve and Adam did not pray in the garden. They did not say, oh God, let us be full with all of your pleasures out here. No, they went to the one thing they couldn't have. Give us power to resist that one tree. Give us the power to resist that presumptuous sin that I keep running to. It's, David shows us the prayer for forgiveness, the prayer for fullness, the prayer for pardon, and the prayer for power. When we are in awe of God, we can pray things as simple as and as desperate as this, God, I can't, but you can. God, they are strong. My feelings are strong. The pressures are strong, but you are stronger. 
God, I am feeling defeated. I feel defeated. I'm, I feel conquered. But you, God, bring victory. Lord, you are the strong one. You are the able one. Victory is not found in myself. That's what David's saying here. It's found in no other place but you. So keep it back. Give me power. Give me strength. Do you pray that? Every hour? Every day? Do you pray it for your kids? Do you pray it for your spouse? Or you just let them have their dangling weaknesses out here, and you're like, man, I hope you deal with that because it's messing me up. Or do you pray, God, give them power. Give them pardon. So David brings it all to conclusion by showing us how strong his desire is for God and sort of a model for us is, and this is our final prayers, we seek to grow in all together. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That is a statement of someone in all of God. This isn't the point here, but I'm going to just sort of expound what he's saying there. I want my words and I want my thought life not to be acceptable in culture, not to be applauded by everything on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. I want my words and my meditation to be applauded by you. I want you and your voice to be the loudest. I want your eyes to be the most important eyes on me. But then we see that prayer, and then we hear the praise, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David is saying here, may my life submit to your way, my heart and my mind, all the hidden all the presumptuous sin, may it all be affected and changed by you, O Lord. This is hope for us, right? Do you see it? David is saying, I am so in awe of God that I want my words and I want my mind and everything to be built on a rock. God is my rock. Translation, he, I'm in awe of his ability. I am in awe of his stability. I'm in awe of everything that he can be underneath me and around me to hold me stable, even though everything in my life's trying to shake me like this. If you feel alone, run to the Lord who is the rock. David is saying, I'm building my life in all of the rock. I'm building my life in all of my redeemer. David is in awe of the compassion of the creator. The one whose stars and heavens are declaring the handiwork. The one whose word is doing all of these things. He's in awe of this God who was kindly redeeming his life. Are you in awe of God or are you in awe of yourself? Are you in awe of God or are you in awe of your problems? Are you in awe of God or are you in awe of your sin? Are you in awe of God or are you in awe of trying to fit in with culture? 
when we are in awe of God, we say, I want to submit to God and his ways. I want to gain, and then list all the things we saw last week. I want to gain life and wisdom and joy and enlightenment and purity and righteousness. I want to gain satisfaction and pleasure. I want to hear all the warnings from God, and I want to receive all the rewards from God. When we are in awe of God, we confess, yes, I love you, God, but I'm prone often to sin, and I don't want to sin anymore. When we are in awe of God, it is a joy to say, God, give me your pardon. Give me your power so that I can be in more of all of you. That's our prayer for you today, this week. There's a wonderful promise that Paul came to in Romans 8 after he just wrote that in Romans 7 where he talks about, uh, I, don't, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I should be doing. In Romans 8, he comes to this, uh, this grand statement. You probably have it on a mug or a t-shirt or a tattoo or somewhere where you're like, one day you're like, this was a special verse. I'm going to memorize this and claim it. Well, here it is. And we know that those for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We love this word, don't we? All things, all things, even my mistakes, my hidden, my presumptuous, all things are working for good. All broken things, all injuries, all wounds, all things are working for his good. For who? Those who Love God. Those who look to him. Those who run to him for pardoning, for power. Those who say, isn't he lovely even though I'm not? Those who say, isn't he majestic even though I am weak? All things work for the good of those who love God, those in all of God. This is why we as a church corporately are saying together, let's grow in all together. It's not just because I want a church that sings louder. That's awesome, by the way. It's not just because I want a church that's doing good stuff out there. I want it for you and your children and your children's children to get and see the good things that God's doing in your life because you're in awe of him. I want it for your joy. When we are in awe of self and others, we, whether we say it out loud or just do it with our actions, I won't submit. I would rather look for life, wisdom, joy, enlightenment, purity, righteousness, satisfaction, pleasures, and rewards from so many other places and from so many other people. And we miss out on that blessing that Paul talks about in Romans 8, 28. We live a life of confusion because we can't see, we don't see things matching up for our good. We think we're doing things right even though we're being told it's not right. And then we just see the storms come and wipe out the house that we've been building. Have you ever been a part of something, 
like what's happening at Asbury, Kentucky. You know what's happening. You've been following it. We've been following it for a while. Been reading it. What we see happening there involves this very prayer. I don't know if you've ever been involved. There's been three, probably four different times in my life that I have been in the presence of the Lord in such a way that just walking from one place to another, stepping, you felt the presence of the Lord while like, whoa, everything I was hearing about, everything I was reading about, just moving into this place is true, and you don't want to leave it. You just want to be there. You ever experienced something like that? It's for those who come and want to be in awe of God. If you come to God and you say, I want to come and check you out, I want to come and criticize everybody around me, I want to come so that they can know that I'm here, you're not going to feel, you're going to miss it. It's my prayer that we as a people would come every Sunday with an expectation. Today, I get to sing with others about the goodness and the awe and the glory of God. Today, I get with others to confess my sins, let it go. I get to ask him for help from my hidden sins and my presumptuous sins. I get to come together and be reminded that he is bigger. He is better. He is more precious. And I get to come with other people and sing over and over and over again, Oh, Lord, you are my rock. You are my redeemer. We're going to do this now. We're going to have a time where we can just call out to the Lord and ask him for pardon. Ask him for power. And ask him for all. You may not be comfortable with silence. You may not be comfortable with being still before the Lord. But we're going to just have a time where I just want you to just pray those things. Whatever things are coming to your mind now, those hidden sins, those presumptuous sins, that lifestyle that we prayed at the beginning, that God would show you what you're in awe of more than him and that you would just privately. Maybe you want to come up here and just kneel down at the steps. You can kneel down where you are. You don't have to kneel anywhere. You just stay in your seat, but you're just, we're just going to have a time where you, by yourself, just get to say, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness, and I need your wholeness and fullness. Don't be in a hurry to rush out. We're going to enter a time being in awe of him and declaring of him how wonderful and beautiful he is. But this is a time for you to be with the Lord in these things. Lord, show us. Show us our sins. Show us our arrogance. Show us the things that are hidden. 
and show us the beauty of Christ. Show us your love, O oh God, that you sent your Son to pay the price for all the hidden and all the presumptuous sins. Show us your glory.